0: Welcome to the Getting Real with Hillary Show, inspiring stories that change lives, where ordinary heroes tell their extraordinary stories of how they have triumphed over unexpected challenges. This is where we say what can't be said and use the AAA formula for freedom, awareness, acceptance, and action. Now, here's your host... Hilary Burns.
1: Hi, welcome back. This is Hilary Burns. And today I am here with Neil Abramson, an ex-convict, an author, and a motivational speaker. So I can't wait for Neil to tell his story about how, you know, he overcame what happened in his youth, and now he's a fully functioning, wonderful grown-up who's contributing to society and helping other people. So, welcome, Neil. It's so great to have you here.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Elvie. <laughs> Exciting
3: to be here.
1: Yeah. So, tell us, please, Neil. I know I had heard a little bit about it, and when I met Neil through a friend, and and there that I just found out before that they are half-sister and brother. So that's very cool. So thank you, Ivory, uh, for introducing us. So Neil, please tell us uh, what happened. How did you go to jail?
2: Well, it was many years ago. It was when I was 16. It's a pretty, uh, in many ways, it's it's a pretty horrific story. I was involved in... I was stealing cars as a juvenile delinquent, and I got into a high-speed police chase. I made a very poor decision. When I was pulled over by the police, I was just terrified, and I made a decision to step on the gas. This was a long time ago. I had a 16-year-old brain, and I really thought I could get away and I got in a high-speed police chase. And unfortunately, it ended terribly. I hit a car, I killed a man, and I maimed his passenger. So that's what took me to Reformatory, which is a prison. It's a prison for young people. Um, It started earlier than that. It started by not listening to my parents by hanging around with kids that broke the law, so that's that's pretty much what what happened that got me into a uh, reformatory for I was sentenced originally to four years. So it was reduced to three years only because I had never committed a violent crime. And my dad wrote a letter to the judge asking for leniency. And I believe the judge granted, granted that or took that up. So I reduced it by a year.
1: Yeah. All right. So before that, Neil, where, so where was this? Where did you grow up? I grew up in the Bronx in New York. Okay. And you were these kids you were hanging out with before? Was this like a unique incident? You know, had you been heading this way? Like what, what led to that day? Do you think?
2: Good question. Yeah, so it would be a number of things. I did write a book. I share a little bit about that in the book, and the book is okay, behind it as well. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, you can see it. i used my, uh, got to get my fingers out of the way. Um, but what led to that is I did not feel like a valued teenager, And I had these friends that I considered good friends, and they broke up. They went their different ways, and I didn't feel valued at home by my parents. They worked a lot. They weren't bad parents. I just didn't feel valued by them. And when I found this one kid who was just breaking the law a little bit, I started following. At first, I I said, I'm just going to be an observer. I actually remember telling myself that. I'm just going to observe. I'm not going to do it. But when we went to have some beer, when we went to drink some beer uh, in an abandoned lot, you know, first time they handed me a can of beer, I said, no, no, thanks. I'm 14 at this time. You know, but then they did it again and again. And eventually I took the beer and the same thing with cigarettes you know i said no i don't i don't need that cuz b- back then cigarette smoking was a big deal in the united states but i eventually took a cigarette and and before you know it by the time i was 16 i had a phony id and i was going into bars so I, uh drinking alcohol so it was it was feeling insecure i didn't feel secure i didn't feel like i was very smart um, And my parents weren't there enough. So as a consequence, I gravitated towards these peers that um, accepted me.
1: So you felt included. You felt like you belonged there. There were people Absolutely. there that, you know, you were...
2: A group. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and these kids were cool. So now, from being someone who didn't think of himself as much, I was part of the cool kids.
1: Hmm. So okay. So that day. So you're. So then you started stealing cars, or was that your first day stealing cars?
2: No, no. I that was about the third or fourth time. So I was already on probation. Oh. So I knew this time, because I had gotten caught st- uh, having stolen another car. So this time, I knew when I got caught with uh, the car that ended in the high-speed chase, that if I didn't get away, I was going to be locked up. And I was terrified. So my 16-year-old brain... Took off. Took off.
3: Wow.
1: Did any of the other kids get in trouble or just you?
2: So this was the plan. It was just one other kid. And I actually had my own car at the time. It wasn't mine officially. But my dad let me pick out the family car because he was trying to appease me. He knew I was unhappy. So I picked out a sports car for our family car. We only had one car. I picked out. They don't make him anymore, but it was a, a, a Pontiac GTO. And what happened is my friend helped hotwire the car we stole, but he was a couple of years older than me, so he didn't, he didn't want to drive. He knew it would be serious if he got caught. So he drove my car, or the, my family's car, the GTO, which I basically thought it was mine. And he was following me, and I was leading. So when the police stopped me, he was able to get away in my car so he never got involved so it was just me and as a good kid at the time I never I never shared that he was part of it you know I just took it because it it really was my idea to steal this car I wanted I wanted mag wheels basically those chrome alloy wheels that most cars have today but back then and I am talking about 50 years ago (laughs) yes back then most cars didn't have them and and they they cost a, an amount that I could not afford and I so that's
1: why you were stealing the car to get the wheels
2: at this particular juncture before it was just for um joy rides they used to call them but yes yeah, so at this this particular car that I did have an intention to steal the wheels off you know I made up in my mind oh the insurance will reimburse the guy he'll you know he'll be okay but I wasn't I really didn't think of other people at that time, unfortunately. Right. So normally
1: when you stole a car, it was just kind of for the fun of it, go for yes. a ride. Did you bring it back
2: normally? Yeah, we normally bring, brought it back or left it somewhere. Yeah. I mean, eventually it'd be found, but we would bring it back. Okay.
1: All right. All right. So you get caught, you go to you go to court, I guess, and um, your parents are there, right? Correct. How was that?
2: Well, I I have, um, both my parents have died, Mm -hmm. but my mother came from a small town in Nebraska. I mean, she was, the word mortified, she just um, could not believe this happened to her son. She came from a conventional family, decent upbringing, immigrant family, but she was mortified. The one good thing that came from it was initially I was ordered to see a psychologist and my parents at that time they, they they wouldn't have dreamed of sending anyone to see a psychologist they felt like you had to be mentally right crazy uh, crazy right yeah. so so in a, in a sense that that was a that was a very good thing it, it started me on the journey of self-awareness slowly right but it did start me on it
1: so, if you had been over eighteen would the would it have been longer than four years
2: absolutely, okay, they did try me as an adult, but yes absolutely that that was a fairly light sentence
1: okay, so all right, so they sentenced you you go off to this reform place where was that? Where was the reform
2: so it's a reformatory, and it's okay. um originally it was sentenced to Elmira, this is upstate New York, okay. And uh, when my father wrote the letter to the judge and when the judge reduced the sentence, I was able to go to a reformatory in New York City, whereas where I lived, the Bronx is a borough in New York, Mm -hmm. and that was Rikers Island. Right now, it's, it's fairly notorious. Back then, at least in the reformatory, it was still, I don't know if you could call any prison a decent place, but it wasn't as notorious as it is today. But it was still a terrible place. Any prison is a terrible place yeah. to be. So it was in oh, Rikers Island.
1: Were you just with kids? Like your own age kids?
2: Right. That's the idea of being in a reformatory. Now, because overcrowded, they did send me to Ossining. If some people know that, they used to be called Sing Sing for a short period of time. And actually, Ossining was Ossining Correctional Facility was better. So that was in upstate New York. It was actually better than Rikers. Because people were, were more mature. So, yes, I was with kids who were, I think no one, 17 was as old as you could be at the reformatory.
1: And what had they done? What kind of things?
2: All kinds of things. Um, but unfortunately, I was put in a protective custody unit. Well, I asked to be. That's a long story, but I'll, I could try to make it short. There's a lot of racial divisions in prison. So I did a no-no. no no that you're not supposed to do. I smoked a cigarette after a black man smoked it. So, because I was a smoker back then and I didn't know that rule. So because of that, I was ostracized. That means the white inmates who are minority in prison didn't, didn't have my back. They didn't support me. And as a consequence, one day... When I had commissary items, you could go to a commissary, uh, like a store, and and purchase some basic toothpaste, extra stuff that the prison wouldn't give you. Um, one day, my cell was completely robbed, and I asked my cellmate to to watch it, but no one had my back, no one had my was supporting me. So as a consequence, I asked to go to protective custody, and protective custody back then. It was for inmates who didn't wanna be in the general population. So uh, there were some pretty self-destructive people there. There were people who are schizophrenic. So that's a terrible thing about our prison system. A lot of mentally challenged people are in it. So that's the type of people that I remember. Um, their crimes, I can't tell you exactly. I mean, burglary, robbery, yeah, but uh-huh. they were mentally challenged. Okay, all right. So
1: you made it through. I mean, did you wear one of those jumpsuits and stuff like you were wearing, like in the movies? Was it like that?
2: I remember all our <laughs> outfit. I think they've changed it to green at Rikers, is what I just found out. But it was okay. all gray. Everything was gray. But oh. no, it wasn't a jumpsuit.
1: <laughs> like in the the orange jumpsuit. That's how I'm seeing you.
2: It wasn't a all jumpsuit. fit with muscles
1: like in the movies. Yeah, okay. So, all right, so you made it through, and after three years, you got out. How was that?
2: So, back then, I actually got out after 18 months. Um, I I got out on parole, but that couldn't come soon enough. So, that's a year and a half. Uh, But before I got out, I made two choices, and that's what I want to emphasize here to everybody listening. The choices we make are so important that's why again to plug my book you could choose your life that you can and it's important we do so i made the choice to get my ged i had that option i also made the choice to see a counselor as i said at the beginning you know i the court had originally had me see a counselor so i i kind of had the sense of it even though it was it was scary to trust an adult who you didn't know who i was paranoid back then and thought this adult Maybe he's going to tell the prison authorities everything I told. I would tell him, but I still took the leap because I believed I needed help. I knew I, I knew I needed help. So those two choices to to get my GED, which I got. So you got and- the
1: GED in prison.
2: Yeah, so and for so those who you graduated don't know, high school. Yeah, most, most people know, but that's it's a yeah. general equivalency diploma. Yes, so you- I got that. Wow, that's great. And I saw this counselor, and those two things changed my life. And there was a third thing that helped change my life. I decided to write. Every day, I wrote in a journal. And it was to ground myself. It was to kind of have a relation with myself, to find out who I was, to reflect on who I was. Because before then... I just did things. I just followed the guys I was with. I you know I, as I said, i when they had, gave me a beer, I drank it. When they stole a the car, I stole a car. But here, I had this time, and i and I thought maybe I could be a writer, so I had that dream.
3: Hmm. So, but
2: these were all choices I made to to do this. I don't know if anybody else kept a daily journal. But I, I did, and I'll talk more about that later because that's going to go into my next book, that journal of wow. how I was trying to to assess who I was back then and figure out how I'd gotten into the mess I'd gotten into.
1: Wow. And did you ever have thoughts, I've ruined it, my life is over, or were you not allowed? Like, I think I would have been that way because, you know, Like it's over. Did you ever have that thought or were you always positive?
2: I mean. Let me think on that for a second. Well, we're kind of resilient. A a lot, a lot of people, but you're right. Some people could have the thought, my life is over.
1: And kept doing it. You know, they could have stayed in that pattern. But it seems like you took the opportunity to say, okay, I made a mistake, but what can I do from here? Which is very inspiring,
2: you know? Well, in my, how I saw it in my world, excuse me, I had hit rock bottom. I mean, I was not prepared for this, to be in a cell, to not know anyone, to be cut off from my parents, the friends I had, the normal life. I remember when I first incarcerated I I think I cried the entire day. I mean just mm. I was in what they called the tombs. It was three tiers of cell high and 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 bars um and it's just grayness it it was it was terrible. But after a while, I mean when I when I got sentenced they had a solid door with a little window slot so it ditched the environment got a little better, but still, I was I was all alone. And as I said, I was with some some crazy people.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: I mean, people that slit their throats and slit their oh. their wrists just to get attention. Um,
1: so, how did you get from crying and gray to hey, I'm going to get my GED sorry, GED, and I'm going to start writing? Like, how did that? switch happened, do you think because that's important
2: well, i needed to occupy myself and most of most of what we did we played cards every day so we didn't have jobs we just sat in what we called the day room and we played cards and frankly imagine playing cards five six hours a day no you just um i the diary was something that kept me attuned to myself. As I said, I, I hadn't really thought of my who I was, and it it became like um, uh, Cast. You remember Tom Hanks' Castaways? Mm-hmm. that movie? Yeah. Yeah. Like, so he related to Wilson. Right. I sort of related to my diary as Wilson. Hmm. My diary became this other f- this friend of mine that mm. that I didn't know because I didn't know who I was. Wow.
3: That's really so, cool.
2: So that helped starting to see that wow, I was this human being.
3: Yeah.
2: With feelings, with just I was this whole human being. So that helped that helped ground me. And then the counselor, yeah. seeing the counselor helped ground me too. I started seeing how actually paranoid and um, anxious I was through another person's eyes.
1: Mm. And how did you do your GED? How does that work? So they, had, they,
2: they had a school there hmm. that um, most people did not attend. I just remember it as kind of like a little dark couple like some kind of abandoned room where there were a few chairs, and I don't remember much of the teaching, but they would give us some uh, examples for, for the GD. I mean, th- there had to be somebody who knew about the GD, but it was a lot of studying. They told us what yeah. to study. So that kept me occupied too. So that took you away a little less card time, right? A <laughs> little less card time, right. <laughs> and, I, and I was committed to do well, and I mm-hmm. got the highest score of anyone who'd ever taken the gd at Riker since the place had opened and that wow. boosted my confidence so all mm. these little things all these choices helped uh they all accumulated to boost my confidence and boost my feeling that i can succeed i can make it
1: wow and it's then, almost like, if you, yeah, it seemed like you got, you know, as bad as it was that you, that you had a lot of good, you know, you learned some valuable things. I mean, what, and I, I know you can't do a what if, but what if you hadn't gone to prison? Like, I wonder, you know, would you have learned these valuable lessons not having had that happen, you know? it's
3: a good, like, it's you, a good question.
1: Yeah. As bad as it was, you know, it might have been what you needed. As terrible as it was, you know.
2: Well, I mean, it's all it's all relative. I mean, yeah, what I, mean, I needed to become an educated because now I have three degrees. I, I'm an author. I had a professional job. I semi-retired as an academic advisor. Yes, it it certainly helped me. I, but I don't yeah. recommend prison. for... No, uh, I don't, I'm not
1: saying that. But now, what did you do before we? Um, go into where you are now. When you got out, what did you do? Did you go to college? Did you like, what happened then? Did it affect you? Did people look at you funny?
2: Well, let me answer that, the good questions. So I was so excited to be coming home and I was released on parole as I said, and parole had certain conditions One of the conditions is you can't associate with people that you got in trouble with before. And there was another special condition for me, which was that I go to college. Wow. Because I said that's what I wanted to do, and they held me to it. They held me accountable to do that. And initially, the college was a four-year college they accepted me as a non-matriculated student because they didn't know I could do the work.
1: Where where was that?
2: It's a Lehman College. It was in the Bronx. It was part of the City oh. University of New York. Oh, okay. Wow. And and I excelled because I was committed. Cause one thing I didn't share that I'd like to share is I got clear that, for me, learning knowledge, actually, mm. was a way... To freedom, mm. so I got very clear about that. There was one incident that I do share in my book. Was the guards they shake down your cell every once in a while, and and there was one time when they shook down my cell and they took all my took any contraband I had, and I was really upset. And they made a mess. They just threw everything. They they would slice your. Uh, Your mattress, it would be a a very thin mattress. I can't remember what a plastic covering and they would cut it open. And any case, I made made this decision after they did that. I came to this conclusion, is a better way of saying it, that they could take everything away from me. But one thing, they can't take away what I know. Mm. So knowledge became very important to me. Wow. So in in answer to your question um, about sharing, and I know I think you want to take a break soon, but um, I did not share. I, I compartmentalized what happened. My mother actually, she didn't even tell people what had happened to me. I think the only person she told was her sisters, but anybody outside of that group, Thought I was at some summer camp or some wow camp because she was embarrassed, and I kind of followed her suit that it wasn't something to really talk about. Yeah, the the issue for me was integrating into college mm-hmm. and not thinking of myself as someone who couldn't succeed at college or or as a ex offender. Just and I was able to do that. I don't know. I think to my advantage. Although I wasn't, I wasn't quick to make friends. That was a more challenging for me. But I did eventually and uh, made friends with people in the college literary magazine, and that mm. also helped me. I got to publish some of my writing. I, I write poetry as well, and that was that was another thing that made me feel more connected.
3: Mm. Wow.
1: Amazing, Neil. So, all right. Well, when we take a break, after our break, we're going to find out what Neil has been up to for the last, I don't know how many years, but few years and see what he's doing now. So thank you, Neil, for, for sharing that. I'm sure that's not easy to tell that story, but I appreciate your um, authenticity and generosity.
0: Are you inspired? Are you living a life story you are proud to tell? Are you actively pursuing and creating the life of your dreams? If not, you really need Hillary's Triple A Program for Freedom. Just visit GettingRealWithHillary.com and schedule time with Hillary today.
1: All right. We're back with the second part. So you went to college and then what? And you were writing. So you loved writing and you decided that knowledge was your path to freedom, which is really cool. So what happened
2: after that? So I got my bachelor's degree. Which was great. It was a major accomplishment, given that I hardly had gone to high school. Right. I got my bachelor's degree and I was the editor of a literary magazine and was getting my poetry published. So it was a real validation for me that I had something to say. Mm. That. Yeah, I was I was a worthwhile human being. And and what I had to say people were interested in. I made a good friend at college, and that was great too. And he he validated me a lot, uh, mm. and I looked up to him. He was one of the editors of the literary magazine, a, a very intelligent human being, and that was great to have him in my corner.
3: Mm.
2: I went on to go to. Did you, did you I, have brothers
1: and sisters at that time?
2: Yeah, I had two younger sisters, and. Mm-hmm. One of my sisters, as a result of what happened to me, became a social worker. Wow. Uh, And one was much younger. She's now in um, pharmaceuticals. Hmm. But yes, I didn't. They were in the same household. But I was on my own path.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: Okay. sorry. All right. So you're so so you have your friend.
1: You're the editor of the literary magazine. That was after college, Right.
2: No, that's during college. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's a college literary magazine. It's called Footnotes. Hmm. And I published some poetry in there. And then I went right on to get a master's degree. I went to um, City College, and it was a creative writing program, which was really great because I got to use my poetry as uh, my master's thesis. mm And then I found out. And what was your poetry about? My poetry at that time, I was dealing with, I was dealing with, it was called, I remember my thesis was called The Eyes of Man. I was dealing with what it meant to be a man Mm. in a world where not everybody was a man, where there were women. And I was I was trying to come to terms with that, what it meant to be to be a man, and what and what women had to go through, because uh, in a world of men.
3: Mm.
2: So yeah, it's, it's uh, I ended up taking when I went for my PhD, I took some courses in feminism uh, because cause I. I started feeling a connection to anyone who's oppressed. Mm-hmm. Anyone who I considered oppressed. I started feeling a, a big connection after having been in prison. And women, at that time even more than today, but even today, I mean, definitely today, you know, are oppressed. Yeah. So what was your thesis on that? Well, it was poetry. It was, okay. it was how, how did how to come to terms with being a man uh, when a man is has this authority and, um, yeah, how to come to terms with that in a way that was respectful to women. Wow. Yeah, how to come to terms with my own sexuality, yeah. So, so you
1: went right from prison to College to masters
2: to PhD. Right, so I, I got a master. So yeah, how many then, years is that? Wow. Yeah, so I've been in school a long time. I was I, so I got a master's from uh, in in creative writing slash American literature, and then I went on to get another master's in criminal justice at John Jay College of Criminal Justice. Wow. And then I worked uh, a few years. I did some. Some volunteer work, but I worked as a typesetter. They don't have that that job anymore where you <laughs> set type. Yeah. Um, and then I came to Dallas to get my PhD, which I did not finish. So okay. all but the dissertation. Uh, and then I wrote my book.
1: So how old were you then?
2: Like thirties. At what point? When I came to Dallas? Yeah. When you wrote your book. Well, my book took a long time because I wanted it to be great. I mean, I came to Dallas when I was 33. Okay. And today I'm 70. Wow. So I've been here a long time. I started my book when I was in a a Landmark course. Landmark is a personal growth organization for some of you who may not know. It's called Landmark Worldwide today. And I started my book in a course called Partnership. Hmm. And it's just... Yeah, so it really grew out of that course, because I I saw how my internal conversations were running my life. I mean, you get to see that in Landmark's initial course, and I encourage people, if you've never heard of Landmark, to at least look it up, Landmark Worldwide, because that also helped with my awareness. And that, actually, that's an important part, too. I'm trying to remember what year that was, but maybe after I was in Dallas, 10 years, when I was in my 40s. I came across a coworker who encouraged me because even though I was fitting in and functioning, I was still depressed. I still, I was still carrying the weight of what had happened. I mean, that was a big thing to go to prison and to know that I killed a human being. That's actually that, that started weighing on me more as I became an adult. As a teenager, Mm -hmm. I didn't really get the full consequence. I didn't really get the full impact of that but so um what
1: kind of work were you doing I mean did anyone ever hold that you had been to jail against you like or because you were younger it wasn't on your record was that ever a concern
2: yeah absolutely so I had to navigate that uh back then and I think f- there's a there's been a, a ruling about called ban the box that they ask you have you have you ever been in prison or are you um, Do you have a felony conviction? And I would, when I tell the truth, I noticed I wouldn't get the job. Mm -hmm. So I don't like to say this, but there were times that I did not tell the truth because I needed a job.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: And I mean, mean, if you get they do fingerprinting and and I still get a, a little bit afraid these days. But it seems that it was so long ago, and I was actually a useful offender mm-hmm. so even though my records are available, they don't expunge records in new york, New York state uh so you have them the rest of your life that is a burden I have to you know one of the yeah. the many burdens I have to bear as a ex felon.
1: And um, so, what kind of work did you were you doing when you met the fellow who introduced you to Landmark? It was a, it was a woman. Oh, a girl, the, um, the woman, like I said.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I was working. I was working at a, like a temp job in, um, like Houghton Mifflin. They had a book. They're a book company. They. Um, I'm not sure if that was the. I think it might have been Houghton Mifflin. They were. Um, they had a whole school division, and I was doing customer service. Okay. And this person saw that I was depressed. Now I accepted what she considered depressed as my normal state. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was hard for me to really get that I was depressed. And that's why I really encourage people and what Hillary's shows about <laughs> awareness. Yes, because sometimes you just can't get it on your own. Yeah. You need some outside, either a friend, landmark, like an organization like Landmark that that works on personal growth or a therapist.
1: So what happened when you went to the forum? Was it hard for you to go or you just said, okay? I'll oh, go.
2: yes, that was very hard. Oh, wow, okay. talk about hard. Um, and of course, I didn't register the first time, but it was very hard because it's almost... At that time, it was live, now it's online, but it's it's like admitting that something's wrong. But of course, nothing has to be wrong for you to do any personal growth work, to go to Landmark or to see a therapist. But still at that time, and maybe for a lot of people, it feels that way, like something, you know, nothing's wrong with me. Why, I'm not gonna, you know, I don't need this. I'm not going to listen to someone, you know, tell me their ideas about how to be a happier person, but I could almost start crying. My life transformed from doing that work.
1: Mm. Did you share?
2: Did you share about what happened? I absolutely did share.
3: Yeah.
2: And what I got, what I learned, was the distinction about stories from fact. Mm. And I made up a story that I was a bad person mm. because of what happened. And I carried that story with me for years and years and years after what happened, even though I was able to function, you know, get these degrees, I still had this story and hold some jobs. And in the, in the landmark forum, which is the first course landmark has for all start, you know, people start in the organization, um, start taking courses, I got that it was a story, that there was no truth behind it. Now, it was true that I stepped on the gas pedal, hit a car, killed a man, maimed a, a passenger. She had to walk with crutches, I think, after that. That's all true. But what I made it mean was not true. That was just my interpretation. Mm. And I really, I really got that. And it's still something I still, you know, have to be aware, but I couldn't have got that on my own because I had no idea I was doing that, that I was making myself wrong, so to speak. And that was holding me back in a lot of areas. And actually, you know, bring it was out of landmark where I got my first full time. It was from out of finishing the forum, the landmark forum, that I actually applied for a job that I didn't think I was capable of. I got my first full time job, so I start, I stopped temping. Wow. And and it was because I had a, a new sense of myself. You know, even though I had all these accomplishments, I still thought of myself as small. And interesting, even that first job I got, it was a customer service job. It was, uh, at that point, J.C. Penney had a life insurance company and I worked for them and they were a good company. They sold it, that aspect. Uh, J.C. Penney is a retailer, if you don't know, but um, mm-hmm. but they own they, the life insurance company too. And I worked with people who didn't even go to college. And here I had, at that time, I had two master degrees but it was because of how I thought of myself that I didn't even realize I wasn't even aware that I still played small in life. So that was that was a great opportunity, and I also went back to therapy, in addition, because there were there were still issues.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, so I'm I'm a big proponent of awareness. Yeah, being self aware, and I and I believe. That however, however much you think you're aware, you could become more aware, more self-aware. I know you and, shared a story of me, Hillary, about becoming more self-aware, too. Yeah.
1: And uh, that's what I'm always trying to get more aware of. When I see that I'm stuck, I use any tool I can to get free. And that that's how you get aware. It's not doesn't just happen. You know, you got to kind of look. You know, you need tools. Landmark gives you tools, you know, maybe therapy gives you tools because you're talking, you know, it's hard to do it by yourself. Just sitting there going, okay, I'm going to get aware, but I don't, I don't think it works that way. (laughs) You know, maybe through writing, through journaling, like there's a lot of ways you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So there you were at work, you did the partnership, you started writing your book. Um,
2: Then what happens? Well, the book took a long time, but it kept me focused, and I started a a business, um, an online business. And I, um, Hillary, what kind hopefully of business. Yeah, what kind? It. Basically, I thought I'd be a coach. Okay. And I'm I'm still playing with that. I'm not sure. Um, I only had one person that I coached, but um, I definitely am promoting being a speaker. And this is one of my avenues. Like now, you know, a little bit more about me, I'm going to be reaching out more and more. I want to make a difference for other teenagers who maybe have a low self-esteem themselves or are getting in trouble themselves, knowing that they can turn their lives around. I believe we all have more choices than we think we do. And we mm-hmm. have to we have to be clear. We have to be aware of how we're holding ourselves back. So I started the business. Were you doing?
3: Yeah, go ahead. were you doing?
2: Did you
1: still have your other job at this point? Or yes, yes, yes. I still okay. I was so an academic your...
2: advisor. I went. I I was an academic advisor at a community college, which is a really great job. Okay, did that for fifteen years. Wow. So that was great because I got to make a difference helping uh, college students. And now I'm in a high school, which is, uh, I really see myself in these high school students, Mm -hmm. the ones who don't want to learn. And um, I've shut down. You know, I see myself how I was back then. But uh, yeah, that's what I did for a lot of time, being this academic advisor, and at the same time, I started the online business. As I was about to say, it's um, you can look at my website. It's called youcanchooseyourlife.com, all spelled out.
3: Okay.
2: And um, yeah, and I created some workbooks. And Hillary mentioned this maybe towards the end, but I'll show you. It's not a good picture, but it's uh, we can conversations. conversations to change your life. And if you go to this web page. You can sign up and get the free workbook. It's called you well https or www you can choose your life all spelled out com you can choose your life com and then forward slash get real all one word just g e t r e a l and then you'll see you a can choose
1: your life dot com forward slash get real to go get that workbook and start. Looking at your own life and seeing where you might not be aware, like uh, Neil and me and the rest of the world. (laughs) So, okay. So you started your business and you started a coaching business while you were working as the academic advisor.
3: Right.
1: And then what?
2: Well, I'm on my second book. I'm working on my second book. So I published this book. You could choose your life.com. I'd love for you to get it. It's on Amazon. I put a, a lot into this book. And actually, let me let me just read a little piece, if I can, just a little piece towards the end, because I do thank Landmark, and I end it like this. This is my acknowledgement page. Lastly, I thank the people in the wisdom area of Landmark Worldwide. It was from completing the wisdom curriculum. That's a, a program inside Landmark. Uh, that I got the opportunity to create a promise from which I live my life today. That promise is that by, and we gave it a year back then, by 2042, we are all living in a world where all life is honored, respected, safe, and free. Imagine if that were the world we were living in today. It could be. All we need to do is roll up our sleeves and get to work. Are you ready? Still moves me. Um mm. Yeah. So today I'm on the second book. I am I have unearthed the diary that I wrote when I was 16. Mm. I want to give that boy, my former self, a voice. I want people to know what it was like being in prison, actually, it was seven. I was seventeen when I was uh, convicted. Even though the accident happened, when I was sixteen. So, to, this new book I'm working on, the tentative title is "Before and in, Before Inside and After Being Incarcerated at Rikers." So, just a look. It's it's a combination of a memoir and also an argument for the need for prison reform.
3: Mm.
2: Had, even though I I succeeded, so to speak, had, had the correction officers been trained in a way to be kinder and more compassionate, I'm sure I would not have gone through a lot of the hardship that I haven't shared. With everyone yet, on, or which I just haven't shared, but it—I I think there's a big need for prison reform. So I'm gonna work on that now. I'm in another landmark program in the communication area, um, called uh, Team Management and Leadership Program, because it's not over. Mm-hmm. My self-awareness is not done. And yes, these are challenging, some of these are challenging programs, but I I encourage people to to keep becoming more self-aware. Because until you are, you really can't accept who you are because you're not you don't fully know who you're accepting. Mm -hmm. And then you and until you are fully aware and and accept your life, you can't really choose your life because to choose your life you really have to be responsible for it.
3: Mm-hmm. You,
2: and and you have to be responsible for the things you've done that you're ashamed of as well as the things you've done that you're proud of.
1: Mm. So, Neil, in, if you could, you know, looking out five years, ten years, what would you hope your mark on the
2: world would be? Mm, I love that question. Mm. I hope I I create some avenues that people one is that people will see they can make different choices that life is not a linear path that they they do that they can't have lives they love, mm. and that I... And that the prison system becomes more malleable, more compassionate, and kinder.
3: Hmm.
2: Yeah, I would say that's it.
1: Thank you. Wow. Well, thank you, Neil. This has been great. Um, So what a story. Really? Thank you. Thank you. So, okay. So Neil, you can choose your com forward slash get real. You can get his workbook and start becoming aware yourself. Um, you can get his book. You can choose your life on Amazon, right? Look under Neil Abramson. A-B-R- oh, I, use,
2: I just use yeah. my initials. Oh, okay. There.
1: Okay. Was- and Yeah. NG Abramson, A-B-R-A-M-S-O-N in case you're uh, listening on the podcast. And uh, what was the other thing, Neil?
3: That's Conversations really to
1: easy. change your life is the workbook. right? Uh, and what would you like to, we still have a couple minutes, what would you like to leave people with? What What do you think your biggest life lesson was? And, you know, you've turned your life around, obviously. What, what would you say to someone who might feel like, you know, they're kind of, they've ruined it or
2: there's no hope? What could you say to them? Wow, that actually gets me a little teary. Um, Because there's always hope that you are worth it. That you have stuff to contribute. That we need you. We need you to make the difference that only you can make.
3: Mm.
1: Thank you, Neil. Thank you. Very inspiring. Again, thank you for your generosity with sharing that story. I'm sure that's not easy. You know, thank you for not giving up and for turning your life around. And we look forward to seeing what you're going to do out there, Neil. Thank you.
3: Thank
2: you so much, Hillary, for this platform. I appreciate you.
3: You're welcome.
0: Thank you for listening to the Getting Real with Hillary show. We hope you're entertained and inspired. Please subscribe to Hillary's newsletter. Go to gettingrealwithhillary.com for more freedom techniques and fantastic stories and links to other great stuff don't forget to tune in every week on Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time on BBS Radio TV. And let's get real. Let's get connected. Let's get inspired and create that life you love.